food is arguably one of the most important things you can put into your body. And ignoring all the potential dirty jokes I want to make with that, it's the source of energy that keeps these stupid fucking meat mechs going. But food production in America is in a kind of rough spot. Even when we just look over the basics. We have food insecurity, and farmers seem to always be running out of money. E. coli outbreaks every few weeks, it seems, and the store's always out of goddamn eggs. So what's happening? Why is the fattest nation on Earth not able to feed its people? And why am I probably going to get sued by someone for this one? On this episode of Why Are You Talking About This? Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Wait At. I'm your host, William, and I will be your insider into the wild and wacky and, and fucking disgusting world of food today. Oh yeah, put that burger down, you will not be hungry. That being said, I want to thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me to have my show pumping your eardrums like raw chicken slurping through a tube. Also, I want to apologize for this being a week off. Uh, also, I want to apologize for this being a week off and couple hours. I know it's pretty crazy that I'm laying an episode, isn't it? Um, but I went to visit my amazing, beautiful, lovely girlfriend uh, two weekends ago at this point. Um, and then Oregon decided to shit out its own ass and suck its own dick at the same time. And I was trapped in an apartment with someone I'm madly in love with for four days. So yeah, no, not even close to having a bad time with that. But uh, in no way was I going to be working on this show. Uh, <laughs> um, and there was no fucking way anything was coming out on time. So, you know, just, just have fun dealing with that, uh, that I'm a week late. Um, uh, also, uh, you know who, if you're listening, I love you. Um, okay, so now we have... <laughs> Sorry, now I'm a little. Now I'm feeling a little bit sappy, and I miss her. Um. Mm. Okay, so now we have all the uh, actual content creator stuff. Gotta gotta get back in game mode, my guy. Okay. Uh, make sure to like, follow, leave a review, comment, um, and all the other fun stuff you can do to make the number that awards me the dopamine go up. Uh, also, make sure to spread the word and subscribe on YouTube and follow on Twitter to get that sick nasty algorithm to push the show for me. And to get an audience going, because trust me, what loyal fan base I already have, uh, I can do more of this and more consistently um, if I can flip this into a job and escape my job prison. Uh, especially because my job guck and suck and fucking suck shit. Uh, but anyways, let's get on to the show. Alright, so this week we're talking about the food system. And 
just like the episode on infrastructure and land management, that's more interesting than it sounds. But to simplify what this whole thing is, before we really dive into it, the food system is the entire route food travels to get onto your table and down to your slimy, probably sexy, throat, beginning with agriculture all the way through to grocery stores and restaurants, onto your plate, and into your mouth. And agriculture is just the fancy Latin word. I think it's Greek, actually, but it's it's the fancy fucking old word that we use for growing stuff. Uh, it's basically farming, but includes basically everything we do to raise and grow things for human use. I mean, except for humans. We don't count that as agriculture, even though, by and large, every human ever born has been created for human use. And it's weird to think about, isn't it? Anyways, instead of just doing a brick of definitions, I think this time we're going to walk through the actual distribution system. So the first step is the gross of food, which, for the sake of simplicity, we're going to assume plants. It gets a lot more complicated with animals and also involves a whole lot of, like, jerking animals off, and I don't want that kind of, like, imagery on the internet of... Anyways, so you first begin by picking the kind of crop that you want to grow. And, you know, sure, you can grow any number of crops. Most of the biggest farms, especially those run by mega corporations, uh, run monocultures. Because they tend to be really cost-effective and have massive returns when it works out right. So it's a good idea to maximize returns. But, of course, it is also a pretty big risk. And you might assume that that's because of crop illnesses or woke liberal bullshit like climate change that can kill off your monoculture farm. That actually isn't why. The real reason, because for some fucking reason, the price of crops changes daily and sometimes hourly. Like the stock market. And why is that? Well, because for some goddamn reason, food isn't the commodities trade. So commodity traders make bids on the price every day, and that can manipulate the price pretty fucking drastically. Which is yet another reason why I'm a filthy fucking socialist. But anyways, in order to try to make sure you can survive off of farming and to minimize the risk, you take something called futures on your crops, which is basically just that you will sell your crops at a guaranteed future price. And if that is confusing, yes. Yes, it is. But as an example, let's say you grow wheat. Well, at market price right now, you know that your wheat is worth about five cents per bushel. So you contact a commodities trader to sell your product. So you contact a commodities trader to sell your product to in eight months when inflation is growing, and that commodities trader agrees to five cents each. But they want the price higher so they can sell it off to a distribution company at a profit. Make sense so far? Okay. Well, if in eight months from now they succeed and it jumps to 15 cents a bushel, you just got fucked because now the crop you could have sold for triple the profit is now going mostly to some fuckwit on Wall Street instead of you who did the actual hard part. Including contacting them, by the way. They didn't contact you. You had to call them. But if it drops to one cent, then too bad for them. Got yours. Get fucked, nerd. Yeah, what the fuck is this? Like, okay, this is not <laughs> in the script, but, like, what the fuck? Like, food is a necessity, not a commodity. Also, I did research on why this is. Unclear. Unclear. It just is. 
And, like, I looked into it. I tried to dig, dig around, like, why is this on the commodities market? It's just because, like, food has always been considered a commodity as soon as capitalism came about, which, again, is another reason why I'm socialist. But, like, as soon as, like, capitalism and mercantilism became a thing, food was considered on the commodities market instead of being a necessity. <sighs> Whatever. Anyways, um, once your stuff is grown, you need to harvest it and store it until it gets distributed. So, like, you basically, the commodities trader tells you, hey, I got a buyer. They agree to the price. They're going to come by in eight months to come pick up the stuff. Here's, like, the truck and things. Yeah. So, using wheat, again, as an example, you'd basically cut down all the wheat, gather it together, and then process it, which, for wheat, means beating the fuck out of it, like it owes you money, uh, until all the nuggets at the top of the wheat stalks uh, get thrown on the ground. And then you grind that into flour. Uh, that is, well, you don't, usually. You just usually gather that up. Um, and that is gathered and stored until the distributor comes to pick it up, who will then take it to someone to mill it into flour. Yeah. But from the moment the wheat gets cut down, it starts a timer before it rots. Which actually takes us to the next step of the process called the cold chain. And sure, that sounds cool. Let's be fair, it's not. It's just a clever way to describe a chain of chilled and refrigerated vehicles being used to move shit across the country and across the world. And why do we do it like this? Well, for three reasons. Firstly, we need to feed densely populated areas. So, for example, an adult American consumes one ton of food per year. And yes, yes, ha ha ha, fat, fat American. But in order to feed just New York City, all of the arable land in the entirety of New York State would need to be dedicated to just growing crops. To feed half of New York. So, you know, oh, just the city, by the way, not the state. All of it would be going to New York City and feed only half of them. So, you know, kind of necessary. Secondly, variety. Humans are finicky little pieces of shit, and we need a varied diet, and at times, especially in northern areas of the world, you can't grow food during the winter, or sometimes for most of the year. Which means that if you relied solely on your own region's food production, then you'd have to rely on rationing through the cold season and what you can scavenge locally when no food is available. And then when some food is available, bet your ass you're going to have some nutritional deficiencies, which are going to cause long-term health problems and probably kill you. Which, again, if you were in modern America, imagining trying to scavenge vitamin C locally, because <laughs> I live in Oregon... Uh, not a whole lot of tropical fruits grow here. A lot of tropical fruits have vitamin C in high amounts. Uh, the fucking nightmare. Imagining, like, scavenging, trying to find someone who snuck in from California with a pocket full of lemons, trying to hunt them down and murder them for their lemons. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, getting back on track and away from my weird fantasy land. Uh, Finally, is the ability to focus on your regional strength. Um, basically, that because you're able to ship across the country and the world, a region's agriculture and food production can focus on the stuff that they're actually good at growing and producing. So, like, Vermont is a great environment for raising dairy cows. Um, 
I did look this up. I regret not putting it in the script, but it has something to do with it being like hilly and a little bit rocky and cold. Like cows prefer that kind of environment. And there's not a whole lot of crops you can grow in an environment like that because it's generally a better idea to have flat land for crops. Um, but because they're good at raising dairy cows, um, if you have a national food distribution system, then the people who live there can afford to produce basically only dairy, which is why Vermont dairy is a thing. So you basically just let the region focus on the shit that they're good at with the expectation that somewhere else is going to carry their other needs. So like, you get to specialize a bit. Um, if that wasn't the case and Vermont still decided to just grow dairy, oh my god, I would feel bad for plumbers. Getting back on track. Uh, basically, a farmer will produce something, sell it to someone, who will then sell that to a company that processes food, who will then in turn go to the farm, pick up the food, and then turn it into something that you can actually buy from a store. So, stuff like grinding your nuts into oil, churning your milk into butter, uh, mixing your batter, uh, deboning your meat, don't mind if I do, (laughs) milling grains, seasoning, cleaning, and basically all the other stuff that you need to do. Uh, basically all the food that you eat is processed in one way or another, and processed food does not mean full of chemicals. It just means being turned from a whole recently head-caved-in chicken into dino nuggies that you give to your child, or, let's be honest, eat at your desk in between matches of League of Legends and your girlfriend blowing your asshole out with her bad dragon. Oh, wait, sorry. That's a body pillow that you pretend is a real woman. But by far the most common kind of food processing... But by far, the most common kind of food processing food goes through is preservation. Basically, the, again, the moment a thing goes from organism to object, uh, a bunch of shit sees the failing immune system and goes, hmm, free real estate, and moves on in. Stuff like mold, bacteria, viruses, and other microbes, and parasites as well. Parasites fucking love that shit. Um, which causes a rot and decay, which drains nutrients from the thing that used to be alive. Which in nature is not that big of a deal because usually when something's turned into food for another thing, it gets eaten pretty fast. And even when it doesn't, a lot of other things will like crawl on it and eat it. And that's what like the microbes and stuff are doing. But being mommy's favorite delinquent, humanity gives mommy nature the brown eyed devil bird and tells her to go fuck herself. So we need ways to fight off rotten decay to, you know, not get sick. And also because mold doesn't exactly taste very good. And we've come up with a lot of ways to do that. And the oldest ones would include drying, pickling, salting, sugaring, and fermenting. Draw ways to make it hard for microbes to be able to get in there. Mostly by removing the water, making the environment really toxic for them, or putting much more friendly microbes in its place. You know, like yeast. Like, when you ferment something, like... Fuck, someone's gonna correct me if I'm wrong. But, (laughs) like, when you ferment something, you're basically letting the microbes in that are not going to completely ruin it and give you horrific diarrhea so that there's no space for other microbes to come in. Um, In the more modern day, we also use stuff like refrigeration, dry freezing, canning, and preservation chemicals to do the same thing, although we still also pretty heavily rely on those other methods. Um, There's also cooking and pasteurization to destroy microbes, which kind of resets the decaying process. Um, However, in the food processing process 
and something I can personally attest to, when a particular crop or product is processed, it's all tossed in together. Which means if one thing is contaminated, it contaminates everything. So, for example, if you're processing milk and doing pasteurization, if one cow's milk is infected with salmonella and it somehow slips through the process, then when the milk truck gets filled up, all of that milk gets contaminated. Also, some of the processing we do is stuff like enrichment and fortification, where nutrients are added either entire are added either back into the food that was removed from a preservation technique, or added to the food that didn't have it in the first place to improve to improve public health. Yeah, you know, like how we add iodine to salt in the U.S. because we use a fuck ton of salt. And iodine deficiency is an actual issue that has occurred for a long time here. So it's not, you know, so it's not all like heart imploding sodium and ramen and whatever the fuck is in a hostess cake that lets them sit on the shelf for weeks and taste the same and is probably causing you cancer. Although that is also included in food preservation. That's also a big part of it. Okay. But after processing, what's next? Well, a company then buys it from the processing company. So, like, the meat company I work for is a secondary processor because, you know, it's meat. But the company sells to grocery and restaurant warehouses and sends them via a chilled truck to the warehouse, where the meat will then sit until it gets ordered by a restaurant or grocery store, and then they get sent the food, which then you get your little nasty fingies on. And this whole process, in theory at least, isn't something I have an issue with. I actually think it's cool. Because it effectively allows anyone in the world to pick up a tomato in a grocery store that has, on average, traveled 1,500 fucking miles from people they will never meet and never see ever and will never even think about and is still fresh. Think about, think about that. It's fucking incredible. It makes my little neurodivergent heart come in its jorts. However, because of how this system works and the whole futures and networking buyers and sellers and the massive workload in food production, corporate farms really end up on top. I mean, what's new, right? But these massive monocultural corporate farms are there to squeeze every last dime out of everything they own, which means sucking the land of its nutrients, using harsh pesticides, and cramming animals into spaces too tight for them to even turn their heads. And they end up driving independent farmers out of business. Farmers who, in addition to being actual human beings and therefore wanting what's best for the animals, community, and the environment that they love, are more environmentally friendly and responsible, humane, and support local jobs in the economy. And unfortunately, they only stick around because of things like Saturday and farmers markets and the farm-to-table movement. And these are things to promote locally sourced and serviced products and foods directly from suppliers to the local communities. And while this is all good and helpful to the local community and to food producers and helps to strengthen the like community bonds, it, it's pretty much just maxed out to like a 250-mile range. Which, hey, that is a huge fucking range. But it's not really anything compared to getting fresh pineapple from a plantation farm in Hawaii or rice shipped in from a factory farm in Southeast Asia. But before we get to more of the problems and issues, let's talk about the history. And we begin in ancient Egypt. No, I'm just fucking with you. We actually start 1.5 million years ago, around the same time that humans entered Europe for the first time. 
And this is when we first invent a method of food processing. Cooking. Yeah, cooking is that fucking old. Uh, and we also didn't really have a single place where it started. It seems like cooking just kind of emerged naturally throughout the world. Um, but now we're going to have a little montage of agriculture coming about. And trust me, this is going to be a lot of dates and locations, so just stick with me on this. Uh, in 20,976 BC, or somewhere around then, uh, cereals, like wheat, you fucking idiot, not Cheerios, are domesticated somewhere near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, between 1150 and 6200 BC, uh, rice is domesticated in China. Between 11,000 and 9,000 BC, uh, sheep are domesticated in Mesopotamia, cattle in Turkey and Pakistan, and pigs across Eurasia. And congratulations, by the way, we just covered 1.4 million years of human history. Do you feel old yet? Or do you feel young? Or do you feel small and insignificant? I felt all three of those. Uh, but anyways, um, as civilizations are kind of becoming a thing a little bit, maybe, uh, these cringy little Neolithic farmers decided that cooking wasn't a fuck enough for them, and they invent drying, smoking, and salting to make food last longer. You know, like a bunch of fucking pussies. I mean, back in my day, you just hoped that you found animals sleeping for you to eat during the winter, and if you didn't, you just died like an actual fucking man. Anyways, in 8000 BC, Sumerians began to live in villages, creating what is usually considered to be the first civilization. Which I've I've learned since uh, doing earlier episodes that that's kind of misleading because humanity has been living in settlements basically since agriculture started. But for some reason, we decided that civilization started with the Sumerians. Although all the reasons ever cited for them being a civilization and the first ones humans already had so some part of this feels like a little bit of racism to me but i'm not going to start pointing fingers um but the important part of this is that they relied heavily on the tigris and euphrates to water their crops um oh and also we have more domestication in 5700 bc mung soy and azuki beans were domesticated for the first time in atlanta georgia actually like modern like atlanta georgia was there when Europeans came. No, I'm kidding. It was China. Uh, 2,700 years after that, plows were invented, which meant that you no longer needed to dig up and loosen the soil by hand, and could instead just hold the plow to feel like you're participating, while a horse or a cow does the actual work. And somehow, 700 years passed before the first seed plows were invented? And what is that? Well, it's a plow that deposits the seeds for you. And this is still used in the modern day, but the reason why it's so surprising to me is because it seems really intuitive, and I'm surprised it took 700 years to figure it out. Like, ancient people were really smart and clever, so I don't know how the fuck it took us so long. Anyways, in the 5th century BC, uh, we have the first example of our actual topic today that isn't just agriculture. And like we normally do when we have something surprisingly advanced, and we're in the BCs, we're going back to China when they developed the first national granary, which is something we actually talked about before, and I, th- I think the poverty episode. Uh, this system was created to help protect from droughts, pests, crop illnesses and failures, and to provide food for the poor, which showed that they had the infrastructure to do that, which is honestly pretty impressive in and of itself, but also shows that somehow, in the 5th fucking century BC, 
They managed to have a surplus for long enough to develop an entire food delivery system. Oh, and also that they gave a shit about poor people. That might be the most surprising part. Uh, and by the end of the first century BC, water-powered grain mills and irrigation systems became really common across the world. Which means that everyone's able to get on this whole food surplus thing China had going on. And now we're actually just going to skip right over to the Middle Ages. Uh, when, because of the whole collapse of Rome thing and just general, like, second century AD shenanigans uh, that totally didn't cause millions of deaths, them entirely underplaying, uh, most of the farming across North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe became mostly about self-sufficiency, uh, particularly in Western Europe. And this is when feudalism, or the concept of feudalism, there's some debate on if that was a real thing or not, uh, became a thing. However, the era also saw, saw a ton of innovations, like the heavy plow, like what I did your mom, and moldboards, like what I did your mom, as well as agricultural revolutions, like crop rotations, and the Arab agricultural and the Arab agricultural revolution that basically massively increased agricultural output of the Middle East, um, that hugely changed how food was produced and how much of it was produced, and also made it easier to grow. Which, again, allowed for the distribution of food to a wider population. In the Middle Ages, this was mostly done through a kind of tax system, where farmers would send excess crops to the Lord, who would then distribute the food directly into their stomach, and the stomach of their buddies. Or the church, or to the poor, when they did a whoopsie and knocked up a teenager out of wedlock. That happened surprisingly a lot. But amongst the revolutions of the day, in 1202, the first English food law is passed, which is important for the Western world. And it's called the Assize of Bread, which stopped bakers from putting additives in their bread like peas and beans, because at the time, those were cheaper than flour and would sometimes be added to bread to get a higher profit. Um, or if they didn't have enough flour, they needed it to stretch. And the process it just kind of fucks up the bread and just makes it a lot shittier. Uh, 200 years after that, uh, the first time food crossed the and 200 years after that, the first time food crossed the Atlantic Ocean, we have the Columbian Exchange in 1492, before Columbus sailed the ocean blue and proving, once a fucking gin, he did not discover America. Fuck you, American school system, you piece of shit. But anyways, this introduced some cool shit to Europe, like corn, potatoes, tomatoes, yams, and yucca, which is all really cool and shit, and I think... The best part about this is that this is a sick own on those pedantic motherfuckers that don't understand how old this is. But they say stuff like, well, tomatoes aren't traditional Italian food, because clearly, dumbass, if they had for over 500 years, I'd say that it counts. Anyways, what, what did Europe give to the Americas back? Well, wheat, rice, and turnips. Oh, also herpes and genocide. Man, we... we really fuck Native Americans in that deal, didn't we? I and mean, we get five staple crops that are fairly tasty, except for tomatoes, come fight me. And, in return, we give them disease, ethnic cleansing, and three of the blandest staple crops the world has ever seen. And to close out this era, in the 17th century, the British Agricultural Revolution happens, which thrusts the UK's agriculture to global prominence. Which, let me tell you, that's quite the feat. And this would also prove to be the well-balanced breakfast they need to do a colonialism. But
but we move on now to new forms of food preservation. Beginning in 1809 with the invention of hermetic bottling, which is sanitizing food and bottling it, by Nicholas Appert. Appert. Fuck, I had that down when I wrote the script. <laughs> and then the moment I went to read his name, my whole brain just did TV static. Uh, but anyways, his method was almost immediately approved as a way to preserve food for French soldiers. A year later, Peter Durand invented... I said that in the whitest way possible. Uh, invented uh, tinning and canning, which, despite the dangers of the you know botulism risk and the fucking lead in the cans, becomes incredibly popular. Becomes incredibly popular because of how long the food can last and is used to distribute food across basically anywhere that has rail lines, rail lines, ports, or roads. As long as you don't mind the. Uh, the mouthfeel of lead leaching into your can of beans. But, you know, it was the early 1800s. They didn't give a shit. Uh, 40, 44 years later, in 1864, Louis, Louis Pasteur invents a method removing diseases from milk by heating it up to kill all the, pathogen, all the pathogens in it to make it both last longer and to destroy the disease. I had to make it through that sentence. Shut the fuck up, phone. Can you not do this right now? I'm recording an episode. Uh, um, and if you're familiar with this fucking guy, or you can put two and two together, then yes, this is pasteurization that he invents. And with its invention, we have a much healthier and safer milk that lasts longer. And this is an all-round incredible positive thing for humanity. And I specify that just to lay another thick own on the raw milk truthers that want to drink unpasteurized milk, and then almost universally have instant and uncontrollable stomach cramps and diarrhea. I guess bad choice of words saying thick. But anyways, pasteurization is also used for stuff in alcohol. Is also used for stuff like alcohol and fruit juices, which again makes them safer and last longer. We do actually pasteurize fruit juices still to this day. And for the world timeline, we jump to post-World War One with the revolution of food processing. See, because the world had just gotten its entire butthole eaten by World War One, a massive economic depression, the collapse of colonialism, and just general social unrest, and the Spanish fucking flu, just about everyone realized, like, okay, maybe we should, like, try just a little bit more. And so a lot of mass production became more and more of a thing on people's minds as a solution for food distribution. Which is exactly what happened. And suddenly, post-World War I, most food you could buy came in factory-produced packages with factory-approved processing and government-mandated factory additives, which all helped to reduce foodborne illness, nutritional deficiencies, and malnutrition, while also helping the economy a bit. And a conservative economy bro just nutted in his pants. Post-World War II, because I'm not going to let them come again by talking about the Nazis, introduces new food processing systems, uh, new processes and chemicals, and the embracing of new technologies, which massively increases the shelf life and food diversity across the planet. It also causes the rise of reconstitution and instant meals and frozen dinners, which has also, by total coincidence, caused increased unhealthy eating habits, which is weird that those two things are just absolutely 
totally unrelated. But before we move on to the U.S.'s timeline, we do also have the GFSI being founded, which is an international food production industry, which is uh, which is an international food production industry-wide initiative to address safety risks and make consumers feel more confident with what they're buying. And why was this a concern? Well, because for almost three decades across the world, but in Europe and America especially, there have been pretty consistent food recalls for toxic chemicals and food contamination. Speaking of that, let's talk about America. Beginning with 1646, we, we implement things similar to the size of bread. And this is actually kind of the only thing we do outside of the world standard, at least until 1785. When Massachusetts, and fuck them for being such a pain in the ass to pronounce and showing up in every fucking episode, passes the Act Against Selling Unwholesome Provisions. The phone, can you maybe just shut the fuck up a little bit, please? Thank you. Which allows the government to punish someone who sells diseased, contaminated, or falsely advertised food. Which I want you to think about that. That had to be a law. This wasn't just, like, a thing we inherited from the British. We had to come up with that shit ourselves. Which makes me wonder, what the fuck was happening in the UK? And besides, like, the dirt farming and the crayon munching and also apparently adding peas to bread. And in 1862, since he really wasn't up to anything else, Abraham Lincoln set up the USDA and FDA. Unfortunately... Uh, really unfortunate, though, that actors and food inspectors are mortal enemies. I mean, he probably served a second term if that wasn't the case. But anyways, from that point and for the next 44 years, that was an assassination joke, by the way. Uh, America didn't have any major events. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's worth it frogging your own joke if... By frogging it, you make it even more offensive. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, America didn't have any more major events. As far as, like, food developments, at least. Uh, 1906, the feds passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, which prevented the manufacture, sale, or transportation of adulterated or misbranded products... Uh, and also the Federal Meat Inspection Act, which allowed for FBI agents to massage your cock whenever they want to. Now, it's actually to prevent meat products from being adulterated or misbranded or being processed unsafely or unhealthily. And I don't know about you, but I think I've had enough of the feds. I think, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to say it. They've gone too far this time, telling me what I can and can't put in my body. If I want to buy tainted, rotten meat, laced with lead-based paint and dick cheese, then Uncle Sam can go fuck himself. And of course, 11 years later, Uncle Sam infringes on our God-given motherfucking rights again by passing the Food Production Act, which creates a grading system for food to provide high-quality food to the U.S. military and eventually the rest of the country. And again, he can go fuck himself. And things from here seem fairly normal. In the late 1920s, as the demand for food continues to grow across the U.S., we cut down more and more of the Midwest shrublands and trees to create more farmland. And just by complete happenstance, the biggest goddamn dust storm starts across the Midwest 
not too long after we decided to start doing this. And yes, this is the Dust Bowl. Basically, when you cut down a ton of trees, you get rid of the stuff that's holding all the dirt in place, and being already flatter than your girlfriend's chest, one good blow is going to send all that dirt into the wind. Like your girlfriend? I guess? I think? I didn't really think about that one. But anyways, this destroys literal metric tons of food, causes massive damage to thousands of miles of land, and also killed a surprising number of people. And as soon as this finished up, most of the U.S. went, huh, that was weird. Anyways, depression time. In 1938, the PFDA is updated to include cosmetics, turning it into the FPDCA. It also adds factory inspections and authorizes standards for, ident for identity and quality of foods, as well as increasing the power of the courts to pursue charges and penalties against people that break the rules. And yes, if you're wondering, this once again means that while this law existed, the government didn't care enough to actually proactively do anything about it. I, fuck yeah, I love America. Moving into the 40s, ignore the other stuff that happened in the 1940s because it's boring and also I'm not a man in my 40s, the government passes the Agricultural Marketing Act of 1946, which gives the USDA the authority to have standardized food quality grades and inspections, which, A fucking again, really implies that they couldn't do inspections until this point. And three years later, the FDA publishes its first guidance on, quote, Procedures for the Appraisal of Toxicity of Chemicals in Food, which is basically just like a list of tips, tricks, and cheat codes they give out to companies to trick them into self-regulating by wording it like they're going to get one over on the FDA by following these rules. Which is clever, especially because corporations are big, stupid fucking morons that say fuck the police and the government more than I do. But with the rise of ready meals and microwave dinners, the government once again infringes on our goddamn rights with the 1957 Poultry Products Inspections Act, which requires inspection for chicken and easy meals being sold over state lines. Fucking government. They can't keep getting away with this, I swear to God. I'm, I'm going to do some not nice things to federal agents if they keep regulating our fucking food like this. And the next year, the PFDCA is amended again to include food additives, and ensure the safety of ingredients being added to our food in response to people starting to wonder if these added chemicals were causing health problems. I mean, given that it was 1958 and people were painting their walls with lead, yeah, yeah, they were. Four years later, since he wasn't really doing anything else, JFK introduces the Consumer Bill of Rights, which says that customers have a right to be heard, to choose the products that they want, and to be informed of the products they're buying, and to be able to buy them safely. And unfortunately for him, the CIA and rights are mortal enemies. And my lawyers advised me not to finish that joke, because I will fucking die. In 1967, uh, really taking their lives in their own hands, Congress passes the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act, which prevents unfair, deceptive packaging and labeling of household products, which would include food. Uh, and this also requires the identification of products with a name and location of the manufacturer, packer, distributor, alongside a quantity count. And real fucking exciting stuff, isn't it? Uh, in 1970, the, the CDC starts to track foodborne illnesses for the first time after learning the hard way that maybe having all the food go through the exact same system with the exact same dirty ball sack hands c touching it might cause some issues. 
and just in time too, as the largest food recall that has ever happened at the time occurred in 1973, where 75 million cans of canned mushrooms were recalled due to concerns of botulism, which I don't think I have to tell you is really fucking bad. And this is the first of many food recalls in the U.S. And this really hurts the trust the public has in the food system. In 1977, the Food Safety and Quality Service is created to perform meat grading and inspection because the FDA cannot be fucked to do that. Now, in reality, they just didn't have the resources to do it themselves, but the service is renamed the Food Safety and Inspection Service in 1981. Jumping all the way to 1996, FSIS creates the HACCP Systems Rule, which focuses on preventing and reducing the number of microbes on products. And what are these guidelines, you ask? Fuck you, I don't care. Nah, I'm kidding. HACCP stands for Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points and has seven principles. Those being conduct a hazard analysis, identify CCPs, establish limits, monitor procedures, corrective actions, verification procedures, and record-keeping procedures. Are you regretting asking now? Did it hurt hearing something so fucking boring? Is your, is your little brain exploding? That, that's why you don't ask the podcast man questions. You just let him think for you. But anyways, uh, that becomes a nationwide rule by the year 2000. But before then, in 1997, the Food and Drug Modernization Act is amended to expand the FDA's authority to regulate the health claims and nutrient content claims and to police food contact services. And yes, there's been a rule that you have to be honest with your packaging, claims, and food content since the 19-fucking-60s, and only in the 90s that we actually have the capacity to enforce that. Cool, right? Well, we then fast-forward 14 fucking years with an average of about 304 fucking food recalls a year to 2011, when we finally decided that maybe it's a good idea to be proactive about food safety. So, the FSMA is passed, which allows the FDA to be proactive in food safety procedures and outbreaks and to protect public health. Yes, 2011, before the FDA was allowed to be proactive. But this also includes preventable controls and tools that they need to enforce compliance with the rules. And with that, we're going to hop out of the timeline. Okay, so I've gone over the history and told you a bit about how the system works. Now is the part where I get unreasonably pissy about something that I, as a fat, middle-class man, have no business being this upset about. And this time we're going to be talking almost entirely about LA America's stuff. So, first things first, how much food do we produce? Well, the entire system ends up producing about 2,590 calories per person per day as of 2010, which is after you take into account food waste. So, in reality, we're producing a lot more than that. And if you don't speak in calorie, that's about 3.8 pounds of food per day per person. Yes, you heard me that. Yes, you heard me right. If we evenly distributed all the food in the United States of America, all people would get 4 pounds of food per day. Man, woman, neither one of those, and child. Just another reason why I'm a socialist. And all this food is produced off the back of 2 million farmers, 97% of which operate family-owned and operated farms, and only 3% of those are corporate farms. However, farms on average make around $350,000 a year unless you're a corporate farm, 
in which case you make around $1 million per year. Also, those uh, that 3% of farms make the majority of our products. Um, and agriculture is also a pretty substantial business worth $374 billion as of 2018, with $143.4 billion of that coming from exporting food. 75% of all of that was from growing animal feed and meat products, while only 17% is from non-meat food, and that other 8% is from cash crops. And also, it's a huge part of our economy, with a sixth of all workers involved in the food system, whether that's growing, processing, cooking, or selling. So with that, what is the U.S. good at? Well, corn, pig, and cock. We are a massive producer of corn, with about 90 million acres of land in the U.S. dedicated to growing it. And we only export 17% of it, using the remainder for fuel or food. Well, 18% of our agriculture is just chicken, making us the biggest exporter of chicken on the entire planet. And we produce the second most amount of pork on the planet, and are the second biggest exporter and importer of, of pork products. Which seems a little weird, that we both import and export the second most, but still, whatever. Okay, I almost made a terrible joke, I'm not going to do that. Uh, okay, so we make a lot of food, and it's very important to the industry. So now let's talk about the problems. The first of the problems I'm going to talk about is food deserts. And these are areas without proper food distribution, like grocery stores, within easy access or reach. And this is a major problem of the U.S., affecting 6.1% of the U.S.'s land mass. And this problem really, really affects people in poverty, and in particular, minority populations who live in shit neighborhoods. And they are unable to get fresh fruit, fresh fruit or vegetables or healthy food. And this is a growing issue, with more and more people living in food deserts over time because of increased rates of poverty and increased cost of living, and wage stagnation. Way to bring that back again. Secondly, the food system creates a massive amount of pollution. Since it's become industrialized, uh, given that, you know, 3% of farms create the majority of the money, the industry has the same issues as other industrial sectors. And unlike other sectors, this includes a lot of nasty, fucking disgusting shit and rot smells, massive cesspools of disease and illness, incredibly unhealthy and disease-causing chemicals, and also sucking the nutrients out of the soil like a hentai milk sucking the soul out of the MC's dick. Which, much like having your soul sucked out by your lonely housewife neighbor, basically ruins the soil forever and forces it to survive on life support. Which in this case is whatever company it is artificially giving nutrients to their plants, and then when that isn't viable anymore, selling the land and moving on. Very similar to the... Huh. That's a conspiracy going on my conspiracy board. Uh... Also, 25% of animal farmers on industrial farms have respiratory illness from breathing in literal shit. And this is before we even talk about herbicides and pesticides. Oh, and also the U.S. agriculture, just, just U.S. agriculture, produces 671.5 metric tons of greenhouse gas a year. And then when the food gets to a processing plant, there's another massive problem. Because these places are incredibly fucking dangerous and health hazardous. And I know because I work in one. 
These places are home to antibiotic-resistant diseases because everything is cleaned with antibiotic soaps and chemical cleaners, and it's pretty common to end up covered in nastiness that can pretty easily get you infected. They also use sharp tools and machines that can turn bone to Play-Doh at extremely fast speeds to keep up with demands, but also very rarely train in their use. Now, some part of this is because these jobs tend to be transitory because generally they suck shit and they don't want to invest money into people they're just going to leave. But also a good amount of this is just being dumb and also being a corporation. And again, I see this one. Motherfuckers stick their arms into running machines I've watched break cow bones and ask you to turn them on. And these places also rarely have union representation, or much, if any, employee-first policies to make sure that the facility doesn't become ground zero for a disease outbreak, like good sick day policies. And to make sure that they don't get in trouble or attract unions, they'll often hire people that don't trust the government, unions, or authority figures in general, or don't know the rules or or are otherwise afraid of drawing too much attention to themselves or getting in trouble at all, like migrant workers. Now, my place in particular doesn't do that. Um, they're not that shitty. Um, like, they're not, like, industry standard shitty. Uh, but most places do do that. Next problem is that despite being advertised as the safest in the world, our food system isn't. Because there's a lot of places where chemicals and pathogens can get into the food. And this happens for the same reasons that food gets recalled constantly, which is just another issue. Like, over 400 times a year constantly, more than once a day. And the biggest reason is that companies are incentivized to move product, which means cutting corners and pressuring workers to work even when they shouldn't, which means that sick people are coming to work, and also product is potentially exposed to chemicals from cutting corners on storage and maintenance. But also, to blame, are things like climate change damaging the transportation systems, poor infrastructure causing damage to product, and delays in production and transportation, and industrial pollution leaching into our food, because we live in a nightmare fucking hellscape. Food waste is arguably one of the biggest issues, with 31-40% to of all harvested food never being eaten worldwide, or about 1,250 calories per person per day. Which means each year, about one metric ton of food is wasted, which causes about 8-10% to of all greenhouse emissions and wastes 25% of all fresh water and fertilizer and more land than the entire landmass of China. And at each step in the process, this waste is created. Before harvest, bad weather and pests, a lack of workers, an overestimated demand for crops, crop illnesses, or even just food that looks ugly or malformed that they don't think will sell well, it just gets left on the ground. After harvest, stuff that doesn't match customer expectations or pass aesthetic markers, which is fucking bullshit, is thrown out or used in animal feed for stuff. Or, I mean, stuff gets too damaged in transit. During processing and packaging, edible parts of the food, like the skin, peels, and fats, are discarded. And grocery stores commonly overstock to keep customers coming in because we're stupid fucking apes that won't buy as much if we think there's not enough to go around, and stores throw away food past their sell-by date, even if they're still good, instead of donating it or using it for something else. Restaurants serve over large portions, and don't sometimes provide options to take food home, 
that's largely for the same reason, because by having, by giving the illusion of having an abundance, people will buy more, because we're dumb fucking animals. Oh, and don't think you get off scot-free either, motherfucker, because you're the issue too. You take home food and let it rot in the back of your goddamn fridge. You throw away edible food and buy way too big a portion sizes and then throw them away when you don't eat them or you start feeling guilty about it. What I want you to do right now is I want you to look in your fridge. Do you see that bag of lettuce? That bag of lettuce has been in there since 2020. You need to throw it away. Don't buy another one. Do not buy another one. It's just going to go to waste. You're a monster. Don't try to eat better. At least in that way. Try, try to eat better, but try to eat better in a way that you'll actually do, not just own a bag of lettuce, you fucking mongrel. Um, <laughs> God, I lost my place yelling at you for wasting lettuce. Um, I'd spit on you if you I didn't know that you'd like it. That's actually in the script. Uh, <laughs> but all this waste means that water is wasted, animals are killed for no reason, chemicals get sprayed into the environment without a fucking purpose, land and labor are taken up, and landfills are filled. So even if you don't give a single fuck about the environment or the human cost of food waste, you gotta admit that it's pretty stupid to be wasting resources in space like this, especially when you don't have much of it left to begin with. Next, the uh, national food chain is really shitty. Firstly, there's not a whole lot of information coming down the pipeline, despite everyone wanting to know where their food comes from, which we really haven't pushed for it in decades. And companies actually don't want to know too much information. Why? Plausible deniability. Because when Grandma dies of E. coli and Mommy Justice System wants someone to blame, you bet your ass every company involved is just keeping enough of the receipts to show that they got it from those guys, so it probably wasn't their fault. And while this is a defensive maneuver, it actually hurts everyone because a lack of communication between companies and customers means that no one along the chain necessarily knows who handled the product or when, what the time frame was to produce it, or where the fuck it comes from besides a company name and some receipts. And this, alongside wanting to make it seem like we have an abundance of food, causes horrific inventory management where a lot of companies really seem to just be fucking guessing what they want. It is excessively common for food to rot on shelves or for sudden shortages to create food deserts for sometimes months at a time, which is ridiculous. Also, the supply chain has massive upkeep costs because of the cost of gas, electricity, and the stupid fucking idea of putting food on the commodities market. There's a huge price volatility that you can't always assume is going to be covered by what you can sell the food at. Which means companies need to put in a large amount of money into it, but they also want to cut costs and cut corners to maximize corporate profits. Which again, I'm anti-corporation. This is starting to make me mad. The thought of oh, the thought of an executive in a boardroom getting a pat on the back for finding a way to fuck a worker right in the ass for trying to put food on their table by driving a goddamn delivery truck across the country makes me want to scream and burn down Wall Street. Okay. That was a joke, FBI. Don't come looking for me. Um. Ugh. 
But in order to keep the companies happy in producing food, instead of changing their occupation that makes them more money, the government buys a ton of the food. To give to poor people? No. Of course not. Why the fuck would the government do something to care about people? They burn it in a field. And despite all this cost, the cold chain is so complex and difficult to maintain that if one thing goes wrong, the entire shipment is fucked and the entire chain starts to collapse. See, our entire food system is built on a house of gold play cards that just barely does its job. I, I, for an example, if the section of I-5 between, you know what, let's just say Seattle and Portland, Oregon was shut down for a week, our entire food system across the entire West Coast would Ouroboros itself into oblivion. It would just be gone. Because everywhere relies on the I-5 to work. And also we don't keep enough of a surplus to actually, like, survive for any amount of time. Anyways, uh, that this all brings us to our final issue. Sell-by dates. Now, I'm going to say, if you've listened to all of this and still have faith in sell-by dates, oh boy, do I have some crypto to sell you. And don't worry, this isn't a scam. 1,000x returns go to the moon. Uh, these dates are made up by the manufacturers, which, okay, first let's be fair. I want you to put yourself in their place. You're the guy that prints out those dates, and you're handed a gallon of milk and a receipt that says your place received it three days ago. Now you're smart. So uh, you're very smart. So you know that that milk probably got to the place of pasteurized it like maybe a week beforehand. Maybe. So now it's 10 days, maybe. But you also know the industry standard is that it's probably been cold storage for about a month somewhere else. So now you have milk that could be anywhere between three days and five weeks old. And you need to decide when it's going to go bad without knowing the cow they came from, on what date, or what or from what company, where in the world. That's also assuming that this milk is from a single cow. It might be from three different cows, or 300 different cows, that got milked within, like, a couple weeks of each other. I mean, that's pretty hard to do, right? Well, we're done being fair, so let's look at the bad side of this. The FDA gives some wiggle room, so manufacturers will put a closer sell-by date on the product to move it faster if they want to get rid of it, and a further one if they want to sit on it for a bit. Which means that by the time it gets to the store, this is a date that has been largely a guess done by a company that wants to move product and also play the market, uh, held in a grocery store for who knows how the fuck long, and put on a shelf by either a teenager or an adult that's high off their fucking balls because that's the only way that they can deal with being at work, and you take it as gospel and throw out perfectly good food. Which is fucking dumb, but I'm a hypocrite, and I'm paranoid about dairy, so you bet your ass I'm not going to drink milk that's past its date. So with that big block of issues and me being a hypocrite, let's talk about how to address it. So, for once, we're actually going to start with something that you can do. Preventing food waste. And really, this comes down to not buying more than you need. If 
you know, you just so happen to have power in a restaurant or grocery store, make sure to take a look at those records. Are you buying 37 boxes of pig anus and only selling four? Maybe it's time to ask the owner what kind of sick fetish they have for pig anus and only ordering six boxes. Also, making smaller batches and servings would also help a lot, uh, since the stuff left over isn't getting thrown away or taken home and then thrown away. And also, it's a good idea to use leftovers instead of just wasting them. There's also some... Uh, there's a list of 22 things you can do at home to reduce your food waste. So you can meal plan, shop from the list, check your inventory before you go grocery shopping, you fucking Neanderthal, eat leftovers, eat out less, uh, also eat the ugly food because it's just as good, uh, eat less meat and more fruits and vegetables, create stock from the stuff that you can't eat, and otherwise, you know, stop peeling your fucking potatoes, just eat the skin, it's good. Sometimes it traps in the flavor. Mm. Um, use recipes as a guideline rather than as the gospel. I don't, like, go out and buy stuff that you're only going to use once. Uh, use recommended storage for food. Like, when you open your condiments, you put it back in the fridge. You don't put it on the shelf. It doesn't go on the shelf anymore. It's open. I'll die on that hill. Uh, declutter and get rid of old stuff. Uh, practice first in, first out, where you basically like rotate the old stuff to the front of the fridge and use that first. Uh, don't trust the expiration dates. And instead, like do smell checks, do sight checks. Uh, like if there's mold on it, obviously don't fucking eat it unless it's cheese. You can like cut the mold off the cheese and it tastes basically the same. Um, and then also do a taste test if you are still not sure. Um, also, decrease your serving sizes and join the Clean Plate Club, and don't serve extras if you don't eat them. Um, make your roommates do the same thing and breed a culture of resentment and hostility in your flat. Uh, give away your extras to people that need it and people that trust you. Uh, you and don't betray that trust. Not this time. Uh, use long-term storage methods as needed. Uh, free stuff with the dates and labels on them. Feed your friends and neighbors before you feed animals, and then you feed your own animals. If you don't have animals, feed other domestics that, like, their owners are chill with you feeding. And then, like, domestic strays, if that's cool in your area. Um, and then, maybe, like, harmless wild animals, like small birds. Uh, never fucking feed dangerous animals, and I'm going to say it, some people are going to disagree. That includes, like, raccoons and skunks. Don't fucking feed them human food. Don't. Stop. Let them scrounge that out of your trash can themselves. Um, also, know your limits and take leftovers home. Uh, try composting instead of throwing things out. And also keep in mind that you're going to fuck this up sometimes and that no one's perfect and it's okay. It's okay to fail. Um, outside of this, if you have excess food that's safe to eat, it's okay to donate it um, to people in need. I wouldn't super suggest that. I would suggest going through, like, a service that does that, um, mostly because it's hard to trust people. So, like, just having someone, like, walk up on the street and be like, hey, here's a pizza, that's a little suspicious. Um, but there's also, you know, a ton of organizations that do this, like I was saying, but there's not nearly enough. So just donate to those, maybe volunteer, um, support them somehow. And if you have the capacity to do it, maybe start a charity. Um, 
Also, food that you can't donate or aren't safe can still be composted. Uh, you can use them for industrial purposes, which I swear to God, I looked up like industrial purposes for old food. I couldn't find anything conclusive that wasn't just like, oh yeah, fertilizer. So like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but yeah, there's someone using like old meat for industrial purposes, um, or to be used in animal feed, uh, mostly because. Animals have fewer and less sensitive taste buds than us, so they don't really care if it tastes like poop. Uh, the other solutions aren't really focused on you, um, unless you just so happen to be a big wig at a company producing food. And uh, if you are, I'm going to ask a favor of you. You need to mandate all of your employees listen to this show, like, immediately, right now. Uh, do it. But we need to increase the traceability of food and agricultural products, especially in record-keeping, where where it comes from, potential issues, and having scannable branding to bring up the full record of the product. I mean, some people even suggest having scannable... Some people even suggest blockchain technology to do this, since you can't really fuck with it once it's minted. Or, you know, hey, maybe communicate with your suppliers more. I can say basically the same thing about protecting from contamination, where we need to use both better raw materials and increase the standard of food products purchased by these companies. And more reliable and trustworthy testing labs, uh, better monitoring on the companies that handle food, you know, instead of just one USDA dude like my company has, uh, letting sick people take time off, which is very important, um, not using so much goddamn plastic on everything, and, oh yeah, communicating with your suppliers. Okay, and finally, before we talk about how I feel, let's ask the, ugh, the public. So, what is everyone else's top concerns? Well, 81% of people are concerned with food prices, 56% on the healthiness of food, and 34% on food waste, which, you know, all sounds related, and also, like, if we cared about food waste, maybe prices would go down, but hey, you know, fuck me, right? 31% are concerned about hormones and antibiotics in their food, which I used to think was dumb, and I've since realized that actually, yeah, it's a bad thing to torture animals and also create super bacteria. Uh, 29% of people are concerned with affording food, which sounds like food prices again, but okay. 28% with pesticides, 26% with food poisoning, 23% with the use of GMOs, which I will say Monsanto is evil and they're pieces of shit, but GMOs themselves actually aren't that bad. Um... 19% are worried for food availability, 17% are concerned about how farmers are treated, and we found the farmer fuckers, 16% uh, are worried about plastic packaging, 15% on the environmental impact, 14% on animal welfare, 12% on the fucking packaging again, and 12% on the fucking environment again. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I pulled this from a government survey, which is why this is a piece of shit. Um, okay, but... From this, do people think that they can actually take action on this? Well, the results are in, and the answer is, eh, I mean, probably. Only 17% think we can absolutely improve the food system, while 5% think we absolutely can't. 25% of people don't know or don't care, and 18% think we probably won't be able to, and 36% of people are optimistic about our odds. And let me tell you what I think about it, let me just go grab my soapbox. So let's talk about if I think we can take action. Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. 
And why, the eternal pessimist, do I think that? Because really, when it comes right down to it, I think that humans in general care a lot more about being able to eat and caring for each other in this very literal way than in the more abstract ways like addressing homelessness. Giving someone sustenance feels good inside for most people who aren't fucking evil, and on an almost instinctive level. If the government and corporations won't step up and actually fi fix the system as it is, I know other humans, who are admittedly probably better than I am, will step up to the plate. Now, do I think they should have to? No. It's the government's job to fix problems. That's why they're here. They have a massive system creating a fuck ton of waste, and if they wanted to fix it, they're really going to have to go socialist on this one. But also, unlike other topics, I don't really care if they do. Because we have bigger issues. I mean, stick with me for this one. Because, yes, climate change is a huge problem, but the amount that like, agriculture is contributing to climate change... Um, as far as CO2 emissions are really low in comparison to our other big problems. Um, and the waste of resources and people going hungry and food deserts and all that are terrible. Things like the economic impact and inefficiencies in the system aren't noticed day to day if you're not able to afford the food anyways. And yes, addressing those might cheapen food, but might also make the rich richer as they charge the same amount or more for the food that they were already selling us. So, this week, I'm saying fuck the government. I know, surprising, right? Buy food from farmers markets if you can, grow food if you can, and take care of each other out there. The human spirit of community is built on food and sharing that food with each other. Until we, and, I mean, until we started growing a garden at home, I'd never known how much fucking food you can produce in such a little space. Our garden might be 50 feet by 50 feet plot, and I know, that's a pretty big space, but relatively small compared to farms. Um, and my mom grew easily 400 fucking pounds of pumpkin in a year. The year before, she had so many cucumbers that people she went out to meet or came over would be given baskets full of cucumbers for over four months and we still couldn't use them all. I think we as Americans need to be more comfortable being self-sufficient with our food and growing things in gardens and sharing food amongst ourselves. So I'll tell you what, as a fat man, I cannot tell you how much I think it's bullshit to waltz out of a grocery store full of shame and guilt because I bought two pack of cookies while I'm trying to lose weight and walk past a single mom who's dying inside because she's trying to figure out if she should, if she should eat the day for the first time in a week or feed her fucking kids. It's ridiculous to let a system where people who desperately need food and people who have food addictions can walk past each other and there is zero help coming. Especially when Daddy Sam buys hundreds of tons of food just to burn it in a field somewhere. And also, I have an idea for you to steal. Buy food from a farmer's market, drive to your local food desert, and just give it all away. And be safe, of course, and don't be an asshole and fuck with the food, obviously, but at the very least, I think it'll be something. Alright, let's go. And I... I really chickened out on talking shit about my workplace there. Probably a good idea, but still. Anyways, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, ways to improve the food system, uh, call me a food whore, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waytapods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. 
Remember to check out my other podcast, Wait Tat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing, but with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc., where I hope you like the topics just as much. And also remember to follow me on Twitter at waitat underscore pods for more episode announcements, and uh, go to my YouTube to check out Fireside Chats, and also to uh, see old episodes uploaded. Have a good night. Don't murder. Have fun. And remember, tip your local farmer. Holy fuck, my guy. This has been Why Are You Talking About This? I've been your host, William. Good night.